any part of what we call sometime luck. You have a plan for our lives. And you are working out your plan in the life of those who believe in you. Lord, help us to see you clearly. Help us to deepen our faith in you and to be a Christian of integrity and honesty and that, Lord, we be a people who are genuinely born from above. Lord, minister to us now. And we'll give you praise and give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says that he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The reason he is not ashamed of it is because he knows the one who the gospel speaks of. How many of you really know the one whom the gospel speaks of? See, in America, there's this false charge that America is a Christian nation. We are far from a Christian nation. Yet, we do have some Christian values, a few of them left, but we are a long, long way from being a Christian nation. We like to believe that we are. We like to believe that we are a moral people. We like to believe that we're all good. There are many things we like to believe, but the question is this. Is our believing wrong? You can believe and believe the wrong thing. If your belief or what you're believing and trusting in is not of God, then it's only sinking ground. There's no firm foundation there. The Holy Spirit, as I've been sharing with you, come to do three things in our life, and all of his work works around within those three areas. As you check scripture, you can always bring it back to one of these areas, the work that Christ is doing in your life. The first one, which we're going to talk about this Sunday, is sin. Is sin. The second one, righteousness. The third one is judgment. Only the Holy Spirit can convince you of those three areas in your life. And he will keep bringing those up in your life because they are pertinent to the Christian. Now let me share this. There are a lot of people who call themselves Christians and none of us can say that another person is not really born of God based on this fact. We don't know when that work begins. We don't know when that work ends. We don't know how fast one person will mature alongside of another person. We don't know how fast that growth will take place. Some of us, it took a little bit longer to get out of the first grade than others. For some of us, it took longer to get out of grade school or out of junior high or high school. And for college, it's supposed to be based on a four-year period. Some of us take five, six years. So the whole thing that I'm saying is this, is that there can be a slower pace. But somewhere, somewhere, in your life, there ought to be sound, foundational evidence that you are born again. 
sound facts about that. That you are truly born again. And it's not just mouth. But it's a lifestyle. It's a centering on Jesus Christ. There's a love for Christ. There's a passion for Christ. There's a wanting to be closer to him. And less of the world in your life. Elaine, in one sense, is my world. All I know as a woman is in Elaine. All that I work for, in one sense, invest for, and and try to take care of is in Elaine. The only person in my life that takes a higher demand on my life is Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ. And Jesus will never lead me in any way, form, or shape to do harm to her. If Jesus Christ is not the highest person, individual, in your life, then you need to re-examine yourself. I'm not going to really examine you. Nobody else has that right to examine you. But you need to examine yourself. Because the heart is deceitfully wicked, and who can know it but God? And with your mouth you can be saying, Lord, Lord, while your heart is far from him. We need to understand that. Conviction of who Jesus Christ is comes through the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from a mom, a grandma, a grandpa, somebody else trying to beat it into you. It has to come through the working of the Holy Spirit in an individual's life. That they are convinced that Jesus Christ is all that he declares himself to be in Scripture. Understand this point. The Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. And because he is the author of Scripture, he declares Jesus Christ to be who Jesus is. It's not the Nicene Council that declared that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It is the Holy Spirit that declares that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And he alone has to convict men and women that they need a Savior by the name of Jesus. No one else can do that. That's why we are called only witnesses. And what do we witness of? We witness of the work of Christ in our own lives. We witness of Jesus being Lord of our life and head of our life. Never try to force yourself on somebody else and witnessing to them if you're not going to declare what Christ has done in your own life. Why? You are the only evidence that cannot be disputed from what you once were to what you are today. You are to give witness of his mighty transforming work in your life. And you give him all the glory and all the praise. Because see, We will not convict anybody else about who Jesus is. But they cannot deny if they know me or know my life that there's something different now 
about me because of Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit, he is the one who has to convict. All sin or wrongness proceeds from one sin, disbelief. Disbelief in Jesus or his word. Disbelief in Jesus or his word. Now, stay with me here for a moment. You cannot separate Jesus from his word, nor his word from Jesus. And people are willing to say, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in his word. I believe in Jesus, but somebody else wrote that Bible. I believe in Jesus. You cannot separate them. And people desire to do that. They want to separate Jesus from his word. So I believe in Jesus, but I can live like the devil. Can't do that. Why? He cannot be separated from his word. The word is Jesus. The word is Jesus. Go to St. John chapter 1 and verse 1. He simply says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Who is he speaking of? Jesus. He's speaking of Jesus. You cannot separate the two. And those who separate the two who say, boy, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in his word. I don't trust his word. I don't follow his word. Whatever you say about his word is what you are saying about him. Whatever you say about his word, because his word is what declares him. His word is what reveals him. And whatever you say about his word, you're saying it about him. And he says, the word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, not maybe, was God, is God. He was with God in the beginning. Go to John sixteen eight, because what we have to understand then, what is the Holy Spirit trying to convict us of. How many of you believe your sins is what take you to hell? It's your sins, plural. See, it's not the pluralism. It's not our sins that take us to hell. What takes us to hell is our unbelief in Jesus Christ. Our unbelief, our disbelief in him. Once we can settle the issue of really believing Jesus and all that he said, it takes care of everything else in sin. Now that doesn't mean I become perfect. But it does mean I have something concretely to follow and to live by. No matter what is going on in my life. I have a word from God. A living word. That is able to hold me steadfast. Unmovable. And yet always abounding in the work of Jesus. Because I believe in him. I'm trusting him. I may not see it right now, but it's on its way to pass. It's coming to pass. It's coming to pass. I'm not the man that Elaine married. I pray that I am the man that God wanted her to have, and she sees that. It comes to pass. Sometime I look at our high school prom picture. 
She's not the young lady that I went to prom with. But she's a different godly woman that I've been married to for 57 years now in February. It comes to pass. Neither one of us was perfect when we got married. Neither one of us was something great when we got married. But staying steadfast in God's word and believing God for one another, he brings something to pass. He brings it to pass. If you'll trust him, if you'll believe him, if you'll follow him. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. So in John 16, 8, he simply says, When he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world, not just some of us, not just a few of us, but he will convict the world of sin, of sin, of guilt in regard to sin. Not sins, not the plural, but one sin, our disbelief in Jesus Christ. When we truly get to the place where we believe Jesus Christ, then a true transformation of our life takes place. And then people can see it. And even in your own life, you can no longer comfortably live in sin. When the Holy Spirit brings the appearance of sin, the first person you think of is Jesus. And the issue now, do I believe what his word says? Now one of the damaging things that has happened in the church is that we no longer take our Bible, no, no, no longer read the Bible. And if Satan can separate us from his word, he can separate us from him. See, I can believe that I'm married and yet live a single life. But I truly believe that I'm married in love with Elaine. Nothing else will interfere with that. Nothing. You cannot have both and make them separate. I cannot be married and single at the same time. I cannot have Jesus and separated from his word and think I have Jesus. It doesn't work. You cannot have the married life and the single life at the same time. You cannot have Jesus and not have his word at the same time. They're together. They're one. And just like scripture says about a husband and a wife, the two shall become what? One. Jesus and his word is one. Not separate. You find people who are not in love with the word of God, they are not in love with Jesus. Though the mouth might say it, the heart is far from him. It is putting them both together that causes it to work and to be able to live it out in the glory of Jesus. You cannot separate them. And too often we are trying to separate Jesus and his word Oh, I love Jesus. And we have all the religious response to Jesus over here. But as we leave out of the church, we live the most hellish, devilish, unshameful life before God. Rather than living out his word. Either you believe them both or you don't. Either you believe in Jesus and his word or you don't. You cannot believe one without the other. No more than you can be married and single at the same time. And the Holy Spirit is to convict us and to persuade us concerning Jesus and the word 
to be true. To be true. Now, what is the Holy Spirit going to convict us of? One, do you need a Savior? Do men need a Savior? One of the things that we think of ourselves is simply this that we're good. We're good. And Jesus said there's none that is good. None. He says there's none that is righteous. No, not even what? One. And scripture tells us not to think higher of ourselves than we what? Than we ought. But we think of ourselves as we perceive ourselves through the word of God. What changes my outlook, what changes my life, what changes is that I am now a son of the living God. I am a daughter of the living God. I am indwelt by his Holy Spirit that lives in me. There is something now in me that was not once in me. And it brings about a change in my life. That things that seem like there's no harm to it. In Jeremiah 23, there's a verse that I was studying on a little bit this morning that I was looking at, but it says, it's talking about the pastors, and we're going to do some sermons about pastors. What is a real pastor? A lot of things are using the title pastor, but are far from being a pastor. But in that chapter, it speaks about the land being defiled, the land being like a wasteland. And I've never seen this before because of the swearing of men or the cussing of man. It used to be a time only men cuss. Boy, you got some women that can do a job. If I had some hair on my head, it would make it stand straight up. But somehow, because the lack of the knowledge of Jesus and being in the presence of Jesus, we have a freedom to do anything and say anything. The Holy Spirit has to convince us that we have need of a Savior. For no individual can save themselves. Now, what is the Holy Spirit going to Convict us of. Back to John 14.1. And if you ever want to do a good study just on Jesus, just get the book of John out. Look at what Jesus is asking us to do in that verse 1. Universally, everybody believes in a God. Even the atheists believe there is no God. So they have made their atheism a god, an idol. They say there is no god. Islam worships of God. Buddha has a god. Muslim, all these isms and all these different religions, all the things of China with all these different religions. And over in India, over 3,000 different gods. Which one is true? Which one is true? Even in America, most people believe in God. Even to a point, in order to really acknowledge I believe in God, we'll say I believe in a higher power. Well, who is that higher power? I don't know. I just know there's something more than just myself. There's something higher than myself. So we named it a higher power. The question is, can a higher power save you? For scripture has declared there's no other name given under heaven and earth 
than that name of Jesus in order to save. The problem comes in when you talk about religion is when you bring up the name Jesus. Just talk about Jesus. Just talk about God is love. People chime in. People want to converse with you. People want to talk about how loving God is. But the moment you bring in the name Jesus, everything shuts down. See, you can talk to a Jewish person about God, a Muslim person about God. Buddha don't really have a God because Buddha was a man of wisdom. Not so much a God, but a man of wisdom. And there's wisdom and learning how to flow with nature and so forth in Buddhism. But the moment you bring up the name of Jesus, you got a fight on your hands. Because Satan wants to keep those that are his. And he will not allow them to hear truth. So you got this saying, I won't talk about politics and I won't talk about religion because the two of those things lead to what? And yet the very basis of the word conviction means to argue. Why? When you read some Old Testament writers or even New Testament writers, you dig back in history and you read some, they were called arguments. They were arguing for or against. We think argument means you're ready to put them up. No. It is now a fight of the mind and the heart. It is now a fight between the mind of what we believe in the facts that we can put out there. Look what he says in 14.1, because this is one of the main areas that the Holy Spirit has to deal with, with us. Look what Jesus is asking of us. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. The King James says, believe in God. Here it says, trust in God in the NIV. That you're trusting in God. If you ask them, they'll tell you, yeah, I trust in God. I believe there's a God. But when you bring Jesus into it, it changes the picture. So Jesus right here says, trust also in me. Trust also in me. Trust also in me. If you believe in God and you trust in God, trust in me and believe in me. And it takes the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't care where you go in the world. Just about every tribe of, of people have something that they worship and call God. But without the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Very quickly, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I just want you to see something here. And then ask yourself the question, why? Why? No, Acts, Acts 10, I'm sorry. Acts, Acts chapter 10. And, and, and ask yourself this question, why, why? He says, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout, and God-fearing. Wait a minute. If he's God-fearing, does he need Jesus? If, if a person is really God-fearing and devoted to God, do they need Jesus? See? 
You can be God-fearing. You can believe all you want in the Father God. But if you never acknowledge the gift that he's given to you in Jesus Christ, eternal life, then you're going straight to hell. You can be God-fearing, living a moral life, doing this and doing that and doing all the other, but if you never acknowledge the gift that God has given to you in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of your sin, you're going to hell. You don't care how God-fearing you might be. You got to know Jesus. And Jesus simply says, boy, you believe in God, believe in me. Who fits that Cornelius? He believes in God. He's God-fearing, but he's without Jesus Christ. Cornelius, sin for Peter, Simon, sin for him. Because he's going to explain to you about Jesus Christ. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Not just with your mouth, but how you live. That's what really tells if you really believe in Jesus. See, sometimes you ladies, you'll, you'll say to your husbands, tell me that you love me. Tell me that you love You don't tell me that you love me. You don't tell Let me ask you this question. Does he come home every night? Is he home before dark? Does he come straight from work home? Does he go out and play with his friends anymore, or is he at home with you? Where is he? See, I shouldn't have to say, even though I do every now and then, I don't totally forget it, to say to her, I love you. But the evidence of that, I'm at home. She can almost tell you where I'm going to be. If I'm on my bike, I'm most likely with Roscoe. Roger, boy, when he wasn't at home, you lead the two of us over here at the church working. But come, what time was it? What time is meal time? Around four o'clock. I don't care what we doing. Barbara got dinner ready. And he wasn't going to disappoint Barbara because like he told me one time, if she can cook it and have it ready, I should respect her enough to be there. And he is. That's the evidence of his what? Love for her. See, if you can't point out, if you can't point out why Jesus loves you, most likely you don't love him. People who love other people can usually point it out and tell you why. But if you can't really point it out, oh, he died for my sin. Well, that's the general statement. What is he doing personally in your life? How is he encouraging you personally in your life? Trust in me. And the problem that the Holy Spirit has with us is our sin against Christ and not trusting him nor believing his word. Trusting him, believing his word. Trusting him for everything in our life. Now, what is sin? Let's go back to what sin is real quick. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 3, 4 through 6. Because we have to identify what is sin. Verses 4 through 6 in chapter 3. 
He says, everyone Now, let me get there. Everyone who has hope in him purifies himself, just as he is what? Pure. If you really believe in him, what are you doing in your own life? You're getting rid of the sins because you believe now that one individual, Jesus Christ. You're following his word. And because you're following his word, you're purifying your own life. What you used to do, you no longer do. So when you are transformed, you begin to see the old life, what? Disappear and the new life, what? Come. So the things you used to do, you no longer do. And he goes on and he says now, just as he is pure. Now catch verse 4. Everyone who sins, plural, breaks the law. In fact, sin, one sin, is lawlessness. There's something going on here. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, everything else in your life is lawlessness. What is lawlessness? It's the breaking of God's rule or God's law. It is the breaking of God's rule or God's law. He goes on, he says, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Not sins, one sin. Any sin against God's word, against the word of Jesus, is a sin against him because he is the one who what? Who spoke it. And you perform it and you break the law that he has given, that God has given. You have broken that law. In your own way, you have denounced Jesus Christ in that sin based on the very fact you will not believe what his word says. Now, go over to Acts chapter 4. Keep what we just said. Acts chapter 4. Go to verse 12. Many of you know it by heart. But listen to me. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Let me ask you a question. Is that a rule? Is that a law? Is that something that is firmly in place and will not change? You break that. And you can never be saved. If you never accept that name that has been given, you can never be saved. God will not change the rule for you. I don't care how great of a baseball player you are. You only get three strikes and you're out. You can't say how great you are and what all you've done. I deserve to get a fourth swing. You don't get it. You only get three strikes. And you're out. In the basketball game, five fouls and you're what? You're out of the game. I don't care if you're the one that everybody's expecting to take the last shot and you're the one who's supposed to win the game. If you got five fouls, you are out of the game. If you don't have the name Jesus Christ, you are out of the game. We need to understand that. Just like man places his rules and governs his rules and enforces his rules, if man can do that, how much more should God do it? And yet people want to play with him. 
People want, oh, he's the God of love, he's the God of forgiveness, and he's the God of mercy. And he, Yes, God is all that. But as we spoke last week, there is a point in which God will cut you off. Mama loves her children. But at some point, Mama will say, you can't come into this house. You can't come here. My brother Zalas could cuss up a storm. But when he came to 1080 Packer Drive, he knew if he was going to step his foot in that house, all that swearing and cussing and everything else had to stay outside. See, if you're going to enter into God's house, there's some things you've got to be willing to let go of. They're non-optional. I don't care what's happened to you in life. I don't care what may have become or overtaken you in life. To walk with Jesus demands a following of his word. There's no option that you're going to follow his word. What makes the church so weak today is that men don't have enough gumption to stand up, be the men of their house, the priests of their homes, the protector of their homes, and lead their homes. And we're wondering why we are falling the way that we're falling. You can't follow something that don't lead. And our homes are in disgrace and miserable because men will not lead. And he simply says there, we all have to make a decision in a sense. Are we going to believe in that name or not believe in that name? In Romans 3.23, I'm just going to rush ahead a little bit because in Romans 3.23, he says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So the Holy Spirit has to convict us that you have sinned. What's the sin? Your disbelief in who? Jesus Christ. And because... You disbelieve in Jesus Christ. Catch this now. See this picture clearly. You can be the most outstanding citizen. We could have pinned all kind of medals on you, given you all kind of awards. You have all type of titles. But if you don't know Jesus, the scripture says you fall short. You fall short. How many of you have missed your destination by just making one wrong turn? You're going somewhere, but you make one wrong turn. Last night I was going, Elaine and I was going over somebody's house, and I, and, and I knew where I was going, and guess what? I went right past the house, and she said, I thought you were going to. And I missed the house. You, you, I went right past it. I was that close to it. You can miss your mark by that much, and you missed it. You missed it. It's the same as if you missed it this much. And if you missed it just this much, you missed it. (laughs) And that's why he says you fall short of the glory of God. Who makes up that shortness? Jesus. We don't have it within ourselves. To make up that little distance that is needed to cross the finish line. Nothing we can do will get us there. But Jesus will. 
he makes the difference. And that's what we have to really be convicted of. It's not about how good I am. It's not about how kind I am. If you were listening to radio this week, you heard in America there are two things that are really being lost. Values and kindness. Values and kindness. And I don't care what your values are. They can be high. I don't care how kind you are and how you have treated other people and helped other people. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ, you fall short. Man can praise you. Man can say, you're this and you're that. And you can go to the White House and receive one of those awards and so forth. But if you go to hell, what is going to happen? A friend of mine, he was a very important insurance man. He's dead now. But Brother Jones had all these awards from the insurance company that he worked with. And all the financial folks that he worked with down in his basement, down there in Virginia. (laughs) And it's like his little trophy room. But they had a flood in that area. And it ruined all his citations and all his awards and everything. (laughs) And and he shares with some of the men (laughs) when we had a meeting with him. He shares, (laughs) as I was coming back out of the family room, basement, where where I had all my stuff, he said, a little boy said, I was going to destroy it all anyhow. All that stuff means nothing to who? God. The only thing that God accepts is that you truly know Jesus. And secondly, that you're living for him. Why? Listen to this. Scripture says, and Jesus says it, either you are for me or you're what? Against me. There's no middle ground. Either you're living a life for me or you live a life that says I do not even exist and other people believe what they see in your life. So either by the way you're living, you're declaring Jesus Christ or you are saying Jesus Christ really don't matter. One or the other. You're making your declaration. And the Holy Spirit is to convict us that Jesus is real and he's alive and he's in us. And that his word is true. His word is true. John 1, 12. St. John 1, 12. If... You truly believe the evidence is there. If you don't believe, the evidence is there. Your mouth can say this and your mouth can say that and you can speak about your imaginary God and how good he is. But if this doesn't happen to you, then it's not real. John one twelve. Yet to all who received him, catch that verse, they did what? Received. You have to be willing to accept, and that's what the Holy Spirit convicts us of. That we accept him, we receive him, we love him. See if we can paint this picture. Whenever I do a wedding, I always give the man the choice before the bride comes in. You can run now because you can't run later. You have to pay if you run later. But if you run right now, you don't have to pay. You can get out of this whole thing. And he's standing right here. All you got to do is take off. 
But see, the moment that bride comes through that door, she's coming down. And he stands here ready to do what? Receive her as what? His wife now. No longer just any ordinary woman out here. But when she comes down that aisle and he takes hold, he is receiving her for better or what? Worse. Sometimes the worse comes out before the better. Isn't that right, honey? <laughs> but the whole thing, they have received one another. The word says, if you received him, and the Holy Spirit convicts us in receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have to accept him, believe him, receive him, and then the next thing takes place. He says, yet to all who receive him, to those who believed, so they had to what? Believe what they have what? Received. Believed in his name. He gave the right to become what? The children of God. That's the evidence now. That's the evidence. That you are now acting like what? A child of God. You are living like a child of God. You are following the word of God. He's giving you power because he knows you could not do it on your own. So you receive the power of the Holy Spirit that you might live as a child of God. Because you cannot do it on your own. And he gives you that power that becomes a testimony to yourself of the transformation that takes place in your life. Because you can't change it. How many of you made your New Year's resolutions and how many of them have you kept? But see, you receive power to live outside of sin in order that you might live in Christ. Now, in 14.6, boy, John 14.6, he declares, and the Holy Spirit has to convict us of this. Because, see, we can't understand this, and we want the whole world to be able to go to heaven. Whether you believe in this, and whether you believe in that, and whether you believe whatever, we want the whole world to go to heaven. Well, the whole world's not going to heaven. Matter of fact, a few of us are going to heaven. The way to destruction is wide and the road to eternal life is narrow. There's only a few of us going to heaven. So in 14.6 he says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through who? Me. There's no other way. And yet we're trying to what? Invent other ways to get to the Father. We all believe in God. We want to somehow neutralize all this stuff that we all come together no matter what you believe we're all on our way to heaven now here comes a hard cold truth either you're believing a lie and you're on your way to hell because you believe in Jesus Christ or you have the truth and the evidence of the truth within yourself and you're on your way to heaven it's one or the other Either some other religion is right and this is wrong or this is true and everything else is wrong. And the Holy Spirit has to convict you of that. No matter how you might want to see all the world saved and all these individuals saved just because they believe in God. They can believe in God, but if they do not believe in Jesus Christ, they're on their way to hell. 
Go to John 8.33. John 8.33. Now, let me get ready to wind up with this last point. In 8.33, look what he says. Boy, let me get there. They answered him, and Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And they answered him in this fashion. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. What are they trying to do? They're trying to get around the issue of who Jesus Christ is. They have rejected Jesus Christ, but they are declaring that they love God. And they're on their way to heaven or paradise if something happens to them concerning that Old Testament. Now, they are there trying to come up with another way to get to heaven other than who? Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh to the Father. The Holy Spirit has to convict us of that. Because if you believe something else other than that, you just said Jesus dying on the cross really means what? Nothing. Because there's another way. And it means absolutely nothing. Now we're going to tie all this in in this closing part. And he says here, boy, this whole thing, we're Abraham's descendants. We're Abraham's descendants. Well, what does that supposed to mean? That you're Abraham's descendants. That you're saved? Go to 852. Chapter 8, verse 52. Get over there to it. Look what he says again. At this the Jews exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone, if any of the prophets, yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste what? Now, remember what I was saying? You can't separate what? Jesus and his what? His word. If you're not living his word, you're not holding to his word, you're not believing what Jesus says. And the Holy Spirit has to convict you of who Jesus is and that his word is true. And he simply says, boy, if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And remember, they're speaking to Jesus. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorified me. Though through you, though you do not know him, I know him. And if I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old. Look at the reasoning of man. When you introduce Jesus to people and they don't want to accept him, they're going to give you all kind of reason and excuses. But understand this principle, what we talked about last week. They are not arguing with you, they are arguing with who? The Holy Spirit. And he goes on, he says, you are not yet 50 years old. The Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And you go all the way back to Exodus when he's explaining himself to Moses. I am. 
who should I tell the people sent me? I am. And the Jews understood that I am. And Jesus says, I am. Now, whether you want to accept him or not accept him, reject him, try to relabel him, try to do something with him, he is who he is. I am the great I am, and there is no other. We need to get that in our heads, and the Holy Spirit is the only one who can convict us of that and nail that in our hearts. That is Jesus and no other. It's Jesus and no other. And there's no other way of getting to the Father. The Holy Spirit deals with the question people ask themselves. What have I done that is so bad that it would keep me out of heaven? Have you ever asked yourself that question? See, people who don't want to accept Jesus Christ come up with that question. What have I done so bad that would cause God to reject me from entering into his heaven. That's why he says he will only convict you of a sin because it's not your sin of alcoholism. It's not your sin of adultery. It's not your sin of prostitution. It's not your sin of drugs, of selling drugs. It's not the plural sins. It's one sin. The sin of unbelief. Disbelief in Jesus and his word. Now, let's put this thing together for a moment. He deals with that question. I've done, what have I done that's so bad that would keep me out of heaven? It's not your sin. It's your disbelief in Jesus and his word. Understand this. If you didn't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. And only the Christian can put this together by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is representing God the Father to man. Jesus is representing God. He comes to what? Reveal God to us. To show us God. To teach us the things of God. He was representing God. But Jesus is also representing man to God. Therefore you have him God in flesh. He is called the Son of God, but also what? The Son of Man. He is representing both. And in one sense you can say Jesus Christ is God in flesh, representing himself over the creation that he has created. Can you see that picture in Jesus is not just representing God and showing God to us. But he is our advocator. He is representing us before God. In one person, Jesus. And it's the Holy Spirit that has to convict you that he is acting and he's doing for the best of God as well as for the best of humanity or man. It's God himself, wrapped in flesh, representing himself in order to save his creation. And only the Holy Spirit has the power. There are no words of man that can persuade you. There are no words of man that can transform you. But the convicting power of the Holy Spirit can persuade you and fight against every one of your arguments that you would present why you don't believe in Jesus. 
Jesus said, can any of you prove me wrong? Can anyone prove me wrong? Can any of you prove me of sin? Then what follows in that verse is simply this. Why don't you believe me? Why don't you believe me? Because you cannot separate Jesus from his word. The word and Jesus are the same. They're one. They're one. You cannot say you love Jesus and don't believe his word. And that's where Satan has much of the church. We want to go to church and hear what we call good preaching. What's good preaching? What's good preaching? Is it to make you laugh? Is it to make you feel good? Truth don't always make you what? Feel good. But truth is what's good for us all. Truth. And the truth is what establishes us. It's truth that gives us honesty. It's truth that gives us integrity. It's truth. When we get in scripture, man or woman, when you get in scripture, the truth elevates your own self-respect because you discover who you are in Jesus. Let's pray. Father.